I've got these two towels. Maybe you saw them as I brought them up. You seen these things? His and hers. Does anybody actually have his and hers towels? Like they actually say that? Um, they're hard to find. I made these. That's duct tape. Um, but uh, we, we, uh, it was a, a, a fad that started back in the 1950s. And the idea was when there was a newlywed couple, you'd give them his and hers stuff. Towels are most popular. But uh, there was even a, a magazine that did crazy things like his and hers airplanes and his and hers submarines. I think it was mostly a joke, but I think that you could do it, actually. Uh, flipper, uh, uh, bedroom shoes and, and flippers. Bedroom shoes and key rings, his and hers. We got towels. And these represent something, at least to me. They kind of speak to something. To me, it's like this quintessential, picturesque, perfect little marriage, right? It's like that 1950s sitcom family where you get the perfect little house with the perfect little bathroom that has the perfect little rack for the perfect little towels. Everything's going great because what could go wrong? We're married. Everything's good. The reality is, though, that in real life, this is not what marriage looks like at all. The towel is never on the rack, is it? It's on the floor, and it's been crumpled up and stomped on, and it's got stains, and it's always an argument over whose turn it is to put it in the hamper, and like all of these things go on. And so though this is a picture, a snapshot of what a picturesque marriage looks like, I think that reality can be somewhat different. Uh, Stuff happens. We don't see eye to eye. Sometimes these towels have a hard time staying where they're supposed to be. Marriage is not easy. We'll get back to these towels in just a minute. Uh, Today we're wrapping up this teaching series we've been doing about family. And it's been a fun journey. We've talked about all kinds of layers of family and the family matters that we deal with because family matters. It's kind of a double meaning to that title of the series. And today I want to wrap up by looking at what is probably the most, the strongest and most important pillar to a stronger family in our world, which is marriage. There's a lot of factors that go to family, and we've said before that family isn't just that, you know, traditional family, husband, wife, kids. I mean, where lives intersect, that's where family happens. Where lives lives intersect, there is the potential for problem and conflict, and so we've talked about a lot of that. But specifically today, I want to zoom in on marriage. Uh, This past May, my wife Lindsay and I celebrated 18 years of marriage together. I think I said that last week uh, as well, and... I'll tell you what, when we first started dating, it was, we started dating in December of 1999, which was a little while ago, and uh, oh, we were so in love. Oh man, we were so, we would make you sick. We were so in love, and we did the thing. You, know, you remember phones that were, they'd hang on the wall, and they had cords that plugged into the wall? Remember those? We had those with the long curly cord, and like, you know, the one where you go in your room and shut the door, and, and you're like talking on the phone, and it's like, hey, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. I'm not hanging up. You, you know, that kind of stuff. We would do these romantic dates and these, you know, these dinners. I'm going to tell you, we were romantic. It's a little known fact, okay? I'm not trying to brag. Uh, but I'm actually the person who put the man in romantic. It's the truth. And so, like, I would hold it down. Now, here's the thing. That was a long time ago, okay? Romantic is probably not the number one adjective we would use to describe our life right now. We have uh, two teenagers, and we are in the middle of it, right? And so, like, it's different, And but we've tried. We've tried to keep that spark alive and that fun and all that stuff, but life happens. The towels don't always stay up on the rack. Stuff happens. Marriage takes work. A lot of work sometimes, and even the best marriages have seasons of struggle. There are stains on these towels. There are things were said that cannot be unsaid. There are choices that were made that cannot be unmade. Trust may have been lost. 
that may never be earned back. And we see this in marriage all the time. But like any relationship, marriage is not about the perfect ending. Marriage is about the journey along the way. I mean, what relationship that you have, do you have? They're like, man, well, it's cool hanging out with you now, but I can't wait till the last day we're friends. Like, that's not what it's about. It's about the right now. And it's about living in it. And it's those struggles and it's those trials and it's that journey that makes, that makes the relationship. That's what it is. And so uh, today we're studying uh, through the book of Ephesians in chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and crack that thing open. We love to look at God's Word. Uh, if you need a Bible today, we've got free Bibles we give away every week. There's a shelf somewhere by the back door. I see it right there near the connection hub. You're welcome at any point to stand up and go get a Bible. If you need one to keep, you can write your name in the front. It's yours. Keep it. Uh, or if you just need one to borrow because you, you forgot one, feel free to look it up on your phone that's too as true as well um, but we'll be in chapter 5 we're starting in verse 21 I think um, and we're going to talk about marriage but here's the thing I already realized something and I've got to address it okay I realize a lot of you are not married right now you're not married for one reason or the other and I think that already some of you might be like oh it's the marriage day and you've tuned out you're like I don't want to listen right now I'm not even going to listen because this is not for me I want to promise you this is for you the things we're going to talk about today are applicable to any relationship. They're vital in marriage, but they're applicable to any relationship. And so uh, let me say a few things to all of you who are in uh, a marriage. We can take the scripture off the screen for right now. If, if you're not in a marriage, there's a couple of categories that you run into if you're not in a marriage. The first one is this. Maybe you're not married and you have no plans of being married. First of all, let me tell you this. That's awesome. That's totally cool. In fact, do you know there's a scripture that encourages people not to get married? It does. It says, like, listen, if you can take it, don't. And, and, there, and, and those of us who have been married are like, yeah, I can see where he's coming from with that. Like, this, like, it can be hard to be married. But actually, the truth about not being married is that there are things you can do for the kingdom of God that a married person has a much harder time doing. You have a lot more flexibility and freedom. So if that's the place that you're in and you're comfortable in that, I want to encourage that. Good job hang out in there, that we have been wrong as a society, specifically as Christians, for too long, just being like, yeah, well, one day you'll be happy and you'll be married. No, you can be really happy and not be married, and that's really okay. So that's the first group. I want to tell you, tune in. This is still for you because you have other relationships in your life. Here's the second group of not married people. Maybe you're not married, but you hope that one day you will be. Awesome. If that's you, that's awesome too, and this will be a short one. Take notes, okay? You can never over-prepare over for your marriage. Anybody who's married, could you, would we agree with that advice? You can never over-prepare for being married. Right now, someone's going to tell you you're not ready to be married. Let me tell, I'm going to set the record straight. They're correct. You're not. You're not ready to be married. Um, but you will be. And so take notes, and this is going to be some good stuff for you as well. Third group, maybe you're not married, but you used to be married. Now, this could be for a number of reasons, and I cannot begin right now to paint a blanket statement about that. Okay, there's a lot of reasons. Maybe there were choices that you made uh, that caused the marriage to be over, um, and maybe that's some stuff that you're healing through. Maybe it's choices other people made, and you're just in that, and that's just where you are. Maybe it wasn't about a choice. Maybe it was more like you lost a loved one. You lost your spouse. And, uh, and it hurts, and, and probably maybe a day doesn't go by that you don't think about that. And so, to all of you, if, if you used to be married, but you're not anymore, I just want to say this. I'm sorry. I know that hurts. I, I can only imagine uh, what that's been like for you, and I want you to know that this is a safe place. This is a community of people where whatever your background or your baggage might be, we want to help people grow through that. And here's what I hope you can get out of this today. It, it might be that you're in a position with marriage, like when someone brings it up, you just can't listen. I understand that. 
So my hope for you is that maybe this will bring a little bit of healing for your hurt and maybe a little bit of faith in the institution of marriage and you can still be a fan, okay? And so maybe that's the third group. And the fourth group is this. Maybe you're not married, but you're living like you are. And this is one where maybe I step on some toes. Uh, But what I mean by this is uh, you're not married to somebody, but you like them a whole lot. You've moved in together and you're sexually active together. And there's a lot of factors that go into acting, being like you're married, sharing finances and a lifestyle and all kinds of things. But specifically, I want to talk about this cohabitation and and intimacy piece. And I I say that not from a place of judgment. Please believe me, I'm not saying it from a place of judgment, but from a place of love. That God's got better for you than that. That is not what God desires. And, and, And just a side note, this is not what the sermon's about today, but sex, okay? I said it, so I know everyone's listening. Okay, sex was created by God to be good, and it was created for one place, and that is in marriage. It's not for before marriage, it's not for outside of marriage, it's for in marriage. And our culture has led us to believe that it is for uh, mature, consenting adults, optionally in love. And these are good things. I recommend that you be mature and consenting, and actually in love, but it's not for mature, consenting in love people. That's not what marriage is for. Marriage is, I mean, sex is for. Sex is for married people. And that's it. It's a really simple explanation of what it's for. And so as you teach your kids and as you talk, this is God's word, okay? I'm the old prude that's going to stand here and say it. Our culture says that it's like, yeah, that's just old fashioned. It's not old fashioned. And you know why? Because there are spiritual things that happen with us when we unite ourselves in sexual union. And so um, that's not what the sermon's about, but God knows better than we do. Uh, I have hope for you. God can help us pass that. And so through the years, our church is eight years old. I I could tell you, I won't say their names because that's none of your business. But over and over, we have couples who have found themselves that aren't married but are living like they are, but then have decided, you know what, that's not God's best for me. And they've pulled back in several ways. Some of them have chose to abstain. And they said, okay, we need to stop until we're married. Some have said, okay, we need to get married right now. What What are we waiting for? So they do. I can marry people, but you know, it's one of the things I can do by the law. So if you need that, come do it, and that's fine. We can line that up. You do need to go downtown and get a little piece of paper. It's also a legal thing. But And others have decided, you know what? Me and this person, we're actually not pursuing the same things. We're not seeking after God with our life. And there have been a f- few couples who have said, maybe this relationship isn't what God has for me. And maybe there's other answers, but let me just say, this message is for you too. It's for all of us because it's about relationships. So... There's no smooth transition out of that to the next section. Let's just open our Bibles. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, when we get to verse 21, there's this awesome verse, and this is how the Apostle Paul kicks off his conversation about marriage. Let me just give it to you. He says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this is not where I think a lot of us would have chose to start with a conversation about marriage. Like, what's the conversation? Like, what, what dishes do we pick out or curtains? What is the ceremony going to be like? You know, like there's all these things we talk about. The very first thing, now this is a passage that's about all family and actually it can be applied to all relationships. But he's about to go directly into some conversations, speaking directly to husbands and to wives. And I think it's very interesting that he starts with this phrase. And let's explain why. Let's talk about, let's break it down. This is one of those really neat sentences that you could actually kind of emphasize each word. 
and get like a little bit deeper meaning out of it. Try that sometime. We don't have time for that today, but it's pretty cool. But I do want to focus, I want to read it one more time. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's first talk about submission. There's a lot of ways to submit. Too big that I can think of. There's what I might would call mandatory submission. And then there's what I might would call voluntary submission. So mandatory submission is like you're at work, your boss tells you to sweep the floor, and you're a grunt at work, and so you're like, aye, aye, captain, and you sweep the floor. It's mandatory. It's no option, or you get fired, right? It's mandatory submission. But then there's voluntary, voluntary submission. This is like, uh, I don't know, you're driving in traffic, and there's someone who puts their turn signal, and they want to get in front of you. And you don't have to let them in front of you, right? Some of you are like, heck, yeah, I don't have to let them in front of me. I never let people in front of me. But you could also be like... All right, you slow down and you let them in front of you. It's voluntary submission. You let, it's a choice you can make. Whether it's mandatory or voluntary, here's the reality about submission. It all comes from some sort of motive. In the work example where it's mandatory, my motive is I don't want to get fired. Boss says sweep the floor. I say aye, aye, captain. That's my motive. Uh, so, you know, there's an authority there and I'm going to submit to it. There's a motive. The other motive for voluntary, I what is the motive that lets you let somebody in, in in traffic? Maybe it's kindness or you're working on patience or or um, a number of things. But you've got a motive and it, you said, okay, I'll do that. I'm just going to do that. I'm going to make the world a better place. I'm going to let them in front of me in traffic. Submission has to come from a place of motive. And um, as Paul begins his discussion of marriage, he to one another out of, what's the motive? Reverence. For Christ, he's talking about family in this whole chapter. And he's saying, listen, first we should submit to each other. And the motivating drive for my submission to my wife and to other people in my life is my reverence for Christ. Let's talk about reverence. Reverence is a hard word to define. I will tell you this because I'm the chaplain of a Boy Scout troop in town. And I love Boy Scouts. I talk about it all the time. Probably get sick of it. But I, I, like, I like scouting. And uh, there are 12 points to the Boy Scout law. Does anybody know the 12 points to the Boy Scout law? You're a good person. You're a better person. because of, One of them is a scout is reverent. So often I'll ask a boy. They, they memorize this from the time they're like 11 years old. They memorize all these 12 points. And one of them is reverent. And I'll say, what does it mean to be reverent? And it's so funny. Ask a 12-year-old what the word reverent means. It's not a word we use very often. And so I've had to really work on defining that. What does it mean? So I've come up with a couple of definitions. I didn't make these up, but they're, they're good definitions. The first one is this. Reverence is about an awareness of something great. Think about that. An awareness of something great. So we want to be reverent towards God. It's like I'm aware of his greatness, so I'm just aware of it. So it's going to change how I feel. And so this has to do with, actually, the literal definition of reverence has something to do with fear. There's a healthy fear of something that we revere, particularly someone powerful like God. So there's that. The second definition that I, I found a couple years ago that I really like is this. Reverence means, whoa. Think about it. This is the feeling a, a, a Midwesterner gets when they come to the ocean for the first time. You ever see someone see the ocean for the first time? They see it in movies, they see it in pictures, but when you get there, it's like... Is it always this big? Wow. And then, remember that piece about a reverent fear? Like when you appreciate the bigness of the ocean, a lot of us have been here during hurricanes and bad storms. A lot of us have seen what happens in a riptide. There's a reverence. There's a respect because of, whoa. Okay, so that's reverence. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's saying, and we're going to, Again, we could overlay this over a lot of relationships, but he's saying this. 
To have a God-honoring marriage, we first need to develop a proper reverence for Jesus. Let me say that again. To have a God-honoring marriage, we first need to develop a proper reverence for Jesus. Now, I'm speaking to Christian people right now. And you might be in a place right now where you're seeking that out. And that's okay. Like I said, this is a safe place for that journey. Um, But if you claim Jesus in your life, this is what Paul seems to be saying. And if you don't claim him, I'm going to tell you. I've learned this is great advice. To have a God-honoring marriage, we first need to develop a proper reverence for Jesus. An amazement at who he is and all of what he has done. Like a wonderment of how grand Jesus is. Married people, if we want to honor God, let's put it all together. If we want to honor God, we need to submit to our spouse. Not because they deserve it. Not because it makes them happy. Not because they're cute or hot or dreamy or whatever. Not simply because of what they could do for you or some brownie points. We should submit to our spouse because we have an awareness of God's, whoa. And that's what he wants from us. That's what he wants from us. He said, I want you to submit to your spouse. And to him we go, well, if that's what you want, okay. Now, there's a, there's a lot of great psychological factors and relational factors, and it really works out. Because guess what? God has our best interest at heart. But if we start from that place of revering Christ, it really makes a big change in our marriage. And it's a great launching point for the rest of this because Paul is now going to take some time to look at both the ladies and the gentlemen. And I guess he's a gentleman because he says, ladies first. Let's return to our towels. Hers. Ladies, he has a word for you this morning. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. This is a verse that husbands love. Your husband might not know jack about the Bible, but he knows this verse. (laughs) He's heard about it, right? And there's some of the Bible about submission. Here's the thing. This is also one of the most uh, grossly misused passages in all of Scripture. Because it is is not about chauvinism. It's not about oppressing women. It's not about that at all. So husbands, listen. He ain't talking to you in this verse, so be quiet, okay? Just listen. This is not for you. This is for the benefit of your wife. And this is what this is about. Uh, God loves order. Like when we look at nature, we see that God loves an order to things. Everything from the grand scheme of the cosmos down to the the microcosm of our cells. There's an order to these things. It's predictable. This is what God put in place. And because if there's not order, there's chaos. And chaos is like the opposite of God. God puts things in order. And so when it comes to family, there's no exception. There is an ideal order to family according to the Bible. I want you to know, so I'm going to emphasize this, an ideal order. This isn't the always order. It doesn't always go this way. But there's an ideal order according to how God arranged our families. And ideally, a husband should be a leader in the home. Notice I didn't say the only leader. Uh, Our wives have great leadership capacity. Some of us better than us. And this is not because God is anti-women. It's just because God gives us all purpose and roles. And this is the role he chose in the family, is that the husband should be a leader within his family. But let's be honest, guys, some of us stink at this in various areas of our life. Particularly, I'll say this, to spiritual matters. It is almost cliche to think that mama's going to drag everybody to church. 
while dad stays home and drinks a beer and waits for the football game to come on. Sometimes we stink at leading our families spiritually. And so to ladies who are wearing that hat in many ways, bravo. You're really teaching us and you're showing us, but, but wives, this is, a, this is a message for you because God knows how he designed the heart of a man. And again, I can't paint with too broad of a stroke because we're all different. But in general, on average, a husband responds well in an arena where he perceives he's got respect. Submission is not about stomping on someone else. It's about lifting someone else up. And so when we think about respect, let's kind of, let's kind of plug it. I mean, when we think about submission, let's kind of plug it in the, the context of respect. It is hard to respect some people. Wives, you may be married to someone that you don't really respect. It's a reality. Now, he might be a hard-headed punk. He might, just not, you know, it might just be kind of like, doesn't do much in terms of leadership. So it's hard to have a lot of respect for him. But I have heard this from a lot of husbands, and it's something that you can read about when you dig into it a little bit, is, is this, that many men feel this way, that they get respect everywhere. I get respect at work. I get respect from my buddies, except for at the home. I don't get respect here. And it's cliche. Keep a happy wife, happy life, right? This is, it's, we joke about it. But the reality is that sometimes, ladies, I think maybe a message that all of you can hear. And yeah, I know I'm walking on you know, thin ice, but I'm just going to say what, what I know is true because I've talked to ladies who have taught this. Is that one thing that ladies can do in their home is to allow their husbands to lead. Maybe you would have done it differently. Encourage them to lead. And where they stink in leadership... Yes, let them know, but don't nag about it. Just step in and offer and ask your husband what he thinks. Ask him if he feels respected at home. Because that's something that men, we thrive on, respect. Because we have big egos and and small self-esteem. And we cover up for it with power tools. But ladies, we're asking you for help to build us up. And let us lead because God likes an order to things and this is where uh, it, it can go if we find ourselves. In so, and, and listen, there's more for wives. Uh, husbands, you might not deserve respect. Earn it. He's got a whole section for you. Okay, we're going to talk to the guys now. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. I'm going to let that sit. Love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is huge. Uh, Once again, this is the second time in this passage that marriage is compared to the church and Jesus. And so if you didn't catch the metaphor, it's like the church is the bride. That's all of us. And Jesus is the groom. And there's a couple of places where that is played out in scripture. It's kind of a neat picture. And so all of the relationships that we have in our real life... They actually are a mirror of some things that happen in the spiritual realm. That's a pretty cool thing. And it teaches us a lot about our relationship with God. And if you thought that it was a tall order to ask wives to submit husbands, I really believe that your job, my job, is taller. And we kind of brush it off to the side. Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Do you know what that means? Let's review. Christ, Jesus, same person. Jesus is God in heaven who came down to earth in human skin. 
That's what Christianity teaches about Jesus. Divine and human at the same time. Jesus left the splendors of heaven. He left the ability to live a life with no physical pain. And all the other perks that come being with fully God in heaven and not having to be human. He left all of that behind. He submitted himself. Read Philippians chapter 2 if you want to refresh her. It's a beautiful passage about Jesus. He left all of that behind. To do what? To die. A gruesome execution on a cross. Spilling his blood. Breaking his body. How did Jesus love the church? Like that. Husbands. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. What does that mean for husbands? It means, guys, step it up. Step it up. Be leaders in your home. Love your wives and your children sacrificially. It might mean giving up some of those pipe dreams you had as a bachelor. There's a great commercial on TV right now. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, it was on with the football games on Thanksgiving Day. But it's like, uh, there's this dad and he's got like a man cave. And he knows his kids are sharing a room. And he realizes, ah, my daughter needs a bedroom of her own. And so for Christmas, he redecorates his man cave and gives it to her as a bedroom. Like to me, that's like, oh, wow. Smooth move, dad. And great advertising. Whoever made that up made me cry. Um, it means putting up with things that your wife does that you don't like. You think maybe there's sometimes when Jesus sees things that we do as the church that he doesn't like. And next time your wife is getting on your nerves a little bit, just back up and be like, Lord, is this what you go through? Okay, if you can put up with me, I can put up with that. Because marriage isn't perfect. You didn't marry someone to be perfect. You married them to live life with them and to share a life together, the two becoming one. Being the head of your home is about laying down your life for your wife and for your family. She needs to know that you cherish her because, not because of anything that she does or doesn't do for you, but simply because you're committed to her. Your wife needs to know that no other person or activity or hobby will slip between the two of you. She needs to know that her position as your bride is secure and nothing else is going to step in the way of that. Talk to her about it. Ladies ask you to ask your husband, do you feel respected? Husbands, ask your wife, do you feel cherished? It's important that we know how to speak to one another. I want to plug something real quick. Um, for several years now, our church has done a class called Love and Respect. And it's a, it's a really great class. Some of you, uh, many of you remember Errol and Rita Stepp. Uh, Miss Rita passed away during the pandemic. And uh, Mr. Errol has moved to be closer to family um, and uh so he's not here anymore, but he has trained up a couple of our elders and their wives, James and Dixie Smith and Brandon and Melanie Smallwood, uh, to become leaders of this class now. And I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I know looking at this audience, a lot of you have taken the love and respect uh, small group class with them, uh, with, with Errol and Rita. Well, we'll um, the Smallwoods and the Smiths are going to be offering that class at the new year. And so let me just put this plug. If you are married and you haven't taken that class yet, I recommend it. And so there's two ways that you can get involved with that. First of all, next week we'll have a sign-up sheet and you can start signing up. But this week, if you want to, jot it on a piece of paper, your name, and I want to be in the love and respect class, or at least I want to get information about it. You can use the connection cards and the folders or just a piece of paper. Drop it in the bucket as you leave. Or if you know uh, the Smiths or Small Woods, just tell them. Uh, because we want you to give you that opportunity. Because men and women, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we're different. And this class really helps us learn to communicate with one another on a level that we'll respond to. And so that, that's a plug for that class. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As we kind of wrap things up this morning, husbands and wives, do you realize the greatest gift that you could give your spouse 
is learning what it means to submit in reverence to Christ. I want to ask you a question. How often do you return to the life-giving well of the presence of God? And I know it's Christmas time, and you're probably thinking about what you want to get your spouse for Christmas, and that's fantastic, that's great. Um, And I hope you get them something cool. They they deserve it. But uh, you know the greatest gift you could give them? The greatest gift you could give them is to grow yourself spiritually. Spend time in God's Word. Spend time regularly praying to Him. Surround yourself in spiritual conversation and community that points your heart to God. If you've never become a Christian and you've been thinking about it, don't do it for your wife or your husband. That's not why we become Christians. However, I encourage you to make that decision. Stop sitting on the fence. But I'm going to tell you, you're heading in different directions if they're a believer and you're not. And so maybe think about that. That is the greatest gift you could give your spouse. And I'm going to tell you something. You're probably not killing it every single day in that department. And that's okay. That's where the grace of God comes in. But take some steps closer every single day. Um, when we hear words like submission and respect uh, and sacrifice, like I know that there's a portion of us right now hearing that walls go up immediately. And this is why. Because, man, that's easy for you to say. But you don't know my situation. And that's true. That's fair. I don't know your situation, and a lot of people in here don't know your situation. Maybe you feel like, yeah, I'm married, but this is not what I signed up for. I'm married, but they have changed so much since we first got started. I I am married, but we're just not on the same page anymore. I'm not even sure if I love them anymore. Or maybe they've told you that they don't love you, and those words hurt. And I don't know your situation, but I'm confident in this. God does, and he cares more about your marriage than you do. And there's an opportunity still to do what you can to save it. To use our towel metaphor, don't throw in the towel. It might be crumpled and in the corner and all banged up. Here's the beauty of our God, and this is where it's true with every relationship. Whatever our brokenness is, whatever our filthiness is, whatever our crumpled up towel situation is, we can always take that to him, and he is a fantastic fantastic launderer. He will wash that towel He will wring it out and dry it out and make it white as snow. Or actually, I'm convinced that sometimes he leaves stains on there so that we don't forget. Take it to him. And it falls off over and over and over again. Pick it back up and take it to him. I know that some of you are in a situation where your spouse is not going to do that. Do your part. Sometimes marriages fall apart and sometimes they end. And it's heartbreaking. But don't let it be because you didn't first take it to your God. And you didn't do your part. You might need to take it a step further and visit a marriage counselor. Go with your spouse. And if they won't go with you, go alone at least. Try to find good godly counsel and work in that. You might need to seek out a good friend that you can talk to. to, Who's going to give you God-honoring advice? Not someone who's just going to tell you like, you know, screw them, give up. Take some time to, to work on it. It might take every single tool in your toolbox, but until you do that, don't give up. I have a challenge for us. Uh, throughout this whole series, actually for a while now, we've been doing this thing. I'm, we're, we're creating a new culture at our church where every week we have a challenge. And the idea, the expectation is that we will all try to do that this week, okay? And so this week I have a challenge that is going to be directly towards married people. And as often as possible, I want us to all have the same challenge. But this week I realize I'm going to need two. I'm going to need one for married people and one for not married people, okay? So here's our challenge. The expectation is that you'll try to do this. And I'm going to tell you, um, well, let me tell you the first, the challenge. <laughs> this challenge, this week... Start a habit of regularly praying with your spouse. I told my wife yesterday, I said, hey, I'm about to tell the whole church family we've got to pray with our spouse. So 
We got to, too. Uh, there's been seasons where we've tried to pray, but if it makes you feel any better, we kind of stink at it. Together, we pray. We pray with our kids. We pray. We both individually pray. But, you know, praying out loud with somebody else, that's kind of vulnerable, and it's kind of weird. But I'll tell you what this, what this leads to. It leads to a place where it is hard to hide sin when you have to know that you're going to pray with someone regularly. It is hard to fake it and, and, and live behind the facade that you build. If you know that you're going to pray regularly, what does this mean for you? Seven days a week? Well, that'd be great. But if you're not doing it all, try once a week. Make a date. Hey, we're going to try Wednesday night because it's halfway through between church. And you can totally have a pass. Okay, one of you, I challenge you. I dare you. Triple dog dare you. Uh, you can be like, you remember Chris said that thing in church today? You want to try it? <laughs> Use me. I'm, I'm the bad guy. My challenge is that you will start a habit of regularly praying with your spouse and just see what happens. Because if we're going to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, he's got to be at the center of this thing. Challenge for you if you're not married, and that's this. Um, Choose a married couple and pray for them to grow closer to God this week. Uh, We all need your prayer. Um, And so someone that you're close to, maybe it's your parents, maybe it is your best friend's, and commit to at least a week of this. We'll have a new challenge next week. Maybe it's something that you continue. But we could all use prayer because, man, the world needs stronger families. And for us to truly have stronger families, we've got to have God-honoring marriages. Uh, let me tell you this last little thing. Have you ever seen the triangle illustration? This is what this looks like. A lot of times in life we have, you know, boy meets girl. Actually, this works for any relationship, best friends, okay? And they're over here. They're independent spots floating in space, okay? And their goal, since they think each other is cute, is they want to grow closer to one another, right? That's your goal. So you ask people out on dates, and you wear the fancy clothes, and you wear the smell-good spray stuff, and you do all You take a bath, whatever it is you're supposed to do. And then and you get closer together. That's your goal. That's your goal. But here's the problem. We as people, we're really, we're really bad at multitasking, and in general, we can only head in one direction at a time. And so, yes, we like each other, but the reality is we're also heading in other directions. We've got our career, we've got our dreams, we've got our favorite sports team, we've got whatever, we're going to do another thing. And so the reality is that we're going after each other, but every now and then we're doing this and this and this. And so we just spend the whole time just kind of hovering near each other, and that's good. And to be honest, that's how most marriages work. We're kind of hovering near each other. But we're not actually getting much closer together. There's kind of like a plateau point, and it's like, okay, that's about it. But check this out. If two people begin to race towards the same point, they arrive at the same destination. It makes a triangle. That's why I call it a triangle illustration. They arrive at the same destination. And in the process of that, they also grow closer together. And what if, individually, you begin to pursue a relationship with your God? Deeper and deeper and deeper it goes. And as you're pursuing a relationship with God, you also are trying to tune into each other. And closer and closer you get. And if you're not married, I'm going to tell you, this works with every relationship. There might be a point that you're in a relationship with someone. You're like, man, they're headed this way, and I'm headed towards God and close to them. And look what that does. <laughs> it doesn't work. Let's pursue God together, married people, so that our families can be stronger in the Lord and so that our world can reap the benefits and our children can know what it means to love our Father. Marriage was God's idea. We need love. We need submission. We need respect for all things. We need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. God will give you the patience you need. He will give you the healing you need. But you're in the driver's seat to see how you take it. Guys, that wraps up our family series, and we've covered a lot of ground this week. And so I would like you to take a minute to pray over our families, over our married couples. And uh, if you'll join me in praying at this time, let's just go to God.